Here's what I want to do tonight. We're, we're going to continue our series on fear. Um, and tonight, as you may have seen on some of our uh, social media, we're going to talk about the fear of the unknown. And I think uh, this is one of those fears that it doesn't matter your stage of life. It doesn't matter what you're doing, where you've been, or, or where you're going. This is one that just kind of sneaks in. And it's, it's forever changing and, and constantly just right around the corner. Because none of us have a crystal ball. None of us can say what's going to happen tomorrow. We know what's happened today, but we don't know what's going to happen in an hour, right? And so this, 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 this idea of being, of fear, being fearful of the unknown is, is, I think, very tangible. And especially in your season of life as young adults, and when you look at the, the rest of your life, a lot of you are asking, like, what's it going to look like? I don't, and I wish I could tell you, because there are some big unknowns in your world right now. It might be a professional unknown. It might be a personal unknown. It might be a dream and a hope that you have that you just don't know if it's, is it ever going to happen. So here's where I want to start tonight. I want to start with a confession, and then you'll see where I'm going to go with this. I just want to be honest with you. I want this place to be a, a place of honesty and uh, authenticity. Um, is, and here's my confession. is I am the worst person at math in the entire world, okay? Math is not my thing. It never was my thing. Um, I hated every bit of it. Um, when I was in high school, I started taking, uh, you know, like beyond just like multiplication and division, I started taking like geometry and algebra. And what I learned very quickly is like, not only do I not like this, I am not good at this. My junior year of high school was maybe the greatest, uh, Single moment in my high school career, I had taken an entire semester of trigonometry. It was, uh, we had to take it in my high school, and I went in, and this is not an exaggeration, every day, either before or after school, to get help. It just did not click for me. And I flunked every test. I mean, not like just by a little bit, I mean like 10%. I would get like the first step, and then I was, I'm, I was lost. And my teacher called me in, and he said, Andy, I'm going to pass you with a C because you work so hard. He said, but my advice to you going forward is to stop taking math. It is going to kill your GPA. And I was like, yes, praise the Lord. My teacher just told me to stop taking math. And so I didn't take any math until my fifth year of college when I realized I had to take a physics class to graduate. And that was a whole other story, a whole other conversation of God's grace. But I tell you that because, because tonight... We're going to talk about an equation, and we're going to talk about math, and we're going to look at this thing called the unknown, because you and I both know, if you remember back in algebra, there's always an unknown in algebra, and there's a way to go about finding, not necessarily in our context, what that unknown is, but how do we find rest and peace when we have a fear of the unknown? That's what I want to talk about tonight. Because the first time this ever happened to me was when I lived in St. Louis out of college, worked for a parachurch ministry there for about a year and a half, and I got a phone call from my boss saying, hey, we want to move you to Oklahoma City. And I probably just stopped and didn't say a word because that was one of the worst things he could have told me. Because here's why. I loved St. Louis. I loved it. Still do. I love this. It's a sports town. I love the Cardinals. It was a small, big city, kind of like Oklahoma City, so you kind of know people. Uh, I loved my job. I had a girlfriend at the time that I really liked. I had a small group of young high school guys that were awesome. We got along great. God was doing some amazing things. 
And I get this phone call that says, Andy, I want you to leave everything you know, and I want you to move to Oklahoma City to run this ministry down there. And so what I heard was, you're taking everything away from me. The familiarity, my friendships. At this point, my family lived in California and Ohio. And so Oklahoma City to me was literally a desert. And for those of you who grew up here, you have never had this thought, but like I literally thought it was a desert. I did not own cowboy boots, and that was, to me, a, a significant issue. I mean, I'm telling the truth. This was in 2001. I moved here. I was like, I don't, are they all cowboys down there? Like, I don't know what's happening. But I went through a season of about six months of not just fear of the unknown, but anger, visceral anger towards the Lord. Because I did not want to move here. In fact, when I moved here, uh, as a good full-time ministry person does, I didn't read my Bible for six months because I was mad at God. I'm not even kidding when I say it. Six months. I was teaching by the Bible. I was leading Bible studies, but I would, would not read the Bible for myself for six months because I was, I was throwing a fit. When I look back, on I was throwing a fit. God, you're going to put me here where I don't know a soul. I don't know one single person in this town. You're going to send me here? And so I, I dealt with, for the first time in my life, this fear of, I have no idea what's happening with my life. This is not where I thought I'd live. This is not where I think I'd go. This is not what I think I'd be making. Like, what is happening? And the only comfort that I had was, was from the story of Abraham. And we're going to get there tonight. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12. But before we get there, I want to say this. Part of this fear of the unknown comes with one simple question. I think it underlines this whole fear, and that is, what if? This question of, what if it doesn't go well for me? What if this job is not the right place for me? What if I do this, and then I miss out on that? What if I date this person, and it's the wrong person? What if it doesn't work out for me? What if my hopes and my dreams actually never come to fruition? Because I think when we're talking about the unknown, it's a big what if. What if it doesn't happen? What if it does? What if it goes differently than I thought? What if it, we go this way and it turns out a little bit strange and weird? Like, what if? I played that game. I've played that game. I play it now. Like I said, this fear of the unknown is not a, a young adult thing. It starts when you're in high school. I remember when I was a high school pastor, I would deal with uh, students all the time, their junior to senior year, and they would be petrified and terrified of where they should go to school. They didn't know. And they thought in, in, in their minds, like, well, I gotta make the right choice, because if I don't make the right choice, then I'm not gonna be in the right direction for my life. I'm not gonna meet the right friends. I'm not gonna meet the right people. I'm not gonna get the right job. All because they chose wrong when they were 16. And it's, that, it's just this what if, what if, what if? I got five kids. I got a lot of what ifs. Like, I, this, this whole thing of the unknown terrifies me. If you were here last week, and, and, and uh, if you weren't, that's okay, but if you were here last night, last week, Bill got up here and, and told you that I was in Houston with my mom. She's going through a, a cancer and bone marrow transplant, and there's a huge unknown. I have no idea how much longer we have. It could be a year. It could be five. I don't know. Heck, it could be a month if it doesn't go well. And so what I want to tell you is, as we get going tonight, that we're going to work through an equation that I believe um, will help you. I think it will relieve you. 
of worry and anxiety when it comes around this idea of the unknown. And this is why I'm excited to talk about this tonight, because this is what I have been walking through for the last three years. And this is what I've done, and this is where I have found peace and rest. So, the what-if game, it haunts us. For some of us, it stalks us. And the crazy thing about the what-if game and the fear of the unknown is that it's always circumstantial. The fear of the unknown is always based on our circumstances, which tells you one thing. It's always going to be there because your circumstances are always going to be changing. Job, relationships, location, friends, it's all going to be changing. And so instead of worrying about and focusing on the unknown, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some algebra tonight. We're going to look at what we do know to inform our hearts and our minds on what we do not know. Because if we walk out of here tonight still allowing the unknown to overshadow the known, then then the enemy will have won. Because we're going to look at what the Bible says we can know as we walk through these, these seasons. So tonight we're going to talk about how we can find rest and peace in the midst of the unknown. So I've got my little board up here. I'm playing teacher tonight. I hope you can all read it from where you're sitting. But here's where we're going to start. A big question mark. The unknown. We all have it. We all have it. For you, it may be different than this person sitting next to you, but here's what I want you to do. At some point tonight, I want you to write on your piece of paper or type on your phone, what is that for you right now? Identify this. What is, what is the fear of the unknown that grips you, that paralyzes you, that keeps you up at night and wakes you up in the middle of the night? Let's get tangible here. Let's not just talk about this oh, unknown. What is it for you? We've all got something. For me, I've already told you. I mean, this question mark for me is my mom's health. It's all five of my children. What is their life going to look like? Like, I know what my question mark is. I know what my unknown is, and I can't control it. So let's look at Genesis chapter 12. What we see here is God having a conversation with Abraham, or at this point, Abram. And we're just going to be in verse 1 and verse 2. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith chapter in the Bible talks about this same story. And it says that Abraham, Abraham did not know where he was going. God called him out of where he was to a place that was unknown to him. But one of the great things about Abraham was we see him move in faith and in obedience. And if you catch this, this is why the story of Abraham resonates with me so much about my move to Oklahoma City. Because did you catch what he said? He says, he goes, I want you to go from your country. He said, leave your familiarity. He said, and your kindred, leave your friends, your camaraderie. And leave your father's house, your family, and your security. He said, leave your familiarity, leave your camaraderie, and leave your security. That's where Abram's at here. And so here is what I want to do. We're going to add a plus here, and we're just going to do an equation this way, because I don't have enough room this way. But I believe it will also be on the screen. So. So when it comes to the unknown, 
This is how we find peace in the mystery of knowing. Number one is, is we, we gotta know and understand God's goodness. And I say this one first because I think this is the, this is the linchpin on this whole idea that we see in Scripture. Because a lot of you grew up with a church background or a family background or a family theology or belief system where you aren't sure that God is good. I know I didn't. I grew up in a, in, in a, in a denomination and a church where I just felt God was always mad at me and looking for me to do something better and be better and be more. And so it took me a long time to realize the goodness of God that he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, I love you and I care for you. In verse two of Genesis chapter 12, he says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You see, God is calling Abraham out to a new place. Not, to, not because he's mean, not because he's, he's a micromanager. He's doing it and he says, listen, I will bless you. I will take care of you. I will make sure you're okay. And we see this theme all throughout Scripture, this idea of God taking care of his people. You see, we question God's goodness because we fear that maybe he's withholding goodness from me. Like, well, God, I know you're good, but I feel like there's some things that should be happening in my life, and I feel like you're withholding from me. Like there are some things that I should have that I think I deserve that you're not giving to me. And what that does is Satan uses that to convince you that God's not ultimately good. He's withholding. That's what Satan would like you and I to believe. God is not good. He's withholding from you. He knows what's best for you. He knows what you want. He knows the desires of your heart, but he's not doing it because he's withholding from you. That would be what the enemy would tell you. But that's not what scripture tells us ever. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter writes, cast all your anxieties or fears on him because he cares for you. God cares for you because he is good. In Psalm 100, verse 5, it says, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. In Psalm 31, 19, it says, oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. And in the most popular book of the Bible, Nahum, <laughs> chapter one, verse seven, it says this, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. I love these scriptures, especially that Nahum one says, listen, he goes, the Lord knows you and is good to those who take refuge. In fact, the reason this verse is so good is it's also the verse that's on the bottom of in and out cups. And so you know it's good, right? Because sometimes, ultimately, we doubt that God is good. We doubt this. Because God's timing is not our timing, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so we doubt God's goodness. We doubt that he actually knows me and sees me and loves me and he cares for me. And that's, those are the things that Satan throws at you all day long. Well, if God loved you, you would. If God actually was good and he cared for you, you would already have this. Like, one of the most stark examples of this kind of goodness 
is that um, when I first had my, when we had our first kid, uh, and we took Will in to get his booster shots or whatever they are, his vaccinations. And I love my son. I can't talk about any of my kids too long or I'll start crying. But this particular day, we had to go to the doctor. And he had to get shots. And many of you in here have no idea about this experience. So let me just prep you for parenthood, okay? This is one of the worst experiences I could ever imagine. But it taught me a lesson that I will never, ever forget, both intellectually, spiritually, and physically. Because we took him in and the doctor said, all right, we need to give Will some shots. And the first shot, no big deal, because he had no idea what was happening. He, he was less than two years old. He was getting shots. He cried. But then the doctor had to give him two more. And you think you're strong? Try and hold down an 18-month-old who is in pain and seeing more pain coming. And so the doctor, the, our pediatrician said, all right, we're going to need you to hold him down. And I'm like, is this child abuse? Like, what's, what's happening here? Like, he doesn't seem to like this, and I'm holding pretty hard. And so I remember sitting in the chair, Will on my lap, and I had to bear hug him. And as a grown man, I had to hold as hard as I could to hold him down. And I will never forget this image. He turns his little head, 18 months old, and there's a huge tear coming down his face. As if to say, Dad, I thought you were good. I thought you loved me. And of course, he couldn't say that. I could just see it. There was a trust issue at that moment. And I just wish I could tell him and wish he could understand, son, I'm doing this because I love you. I would be a bad father if I didn't do this. You would get sick. I know you don't understand it. And some of you in this room tonight, you need to hear that just because it doesn't feel good to you doesn't mean it's not good for you. Because there are going to be seasons where there are tears upon tears upon tears. And we're going to be convinced. We're going to hear Satan say, God's not good. He doesn't love you. Because if he loved you, it would feel good all the time. And I'm telling you, I'm a fallen and broken person. I'm not a perfect dad. I'm not a perfect husband. But I can tell my son, you know what? This is going to hurt, but it is for your good. And it's because I love you deeply. So God is good. And we see it all throughout Scripture. And if you are still not convinced that God is not withholding from you, then just look at that cross right there or right there, and that is evidence that God does not hold with any, withhold anything from you. He's good to the point of giving his own son for you on the cross. So whenever you have that feeling that God's withholding from you or holding out from you, you just look at the cross and you tell Satan, no, 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 I serve a God and I worship a God who is good and who does not withhold anything from me because he cares for you. My second point tonight is that peace in the midst of the unknown comes from knowing God's faithfulness. I mean, that's what we just sang of God's faithfulness. In verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
Did you catch those three phrases in here yet? That I will show you, I will make you, and I will bless you. Here's the cool thing about God's faithfulness. It has nothing to do with your faithfulness. Because we're unfaithful people. But God is faithful. He says, I'll, Abram, I'll do it. You just go. I will do it. I will show you where to go. And I will bless you on the way. Because I love you and I care for you. Now, the danger here with faithfulness is that we can't over-personify our experience with other people being unfaithful to us and project that onto God. Because let's be honest, there, there are people in this life that have let us down, that they said they'd be there and they weren't there. They said they were my friend and they were not my friend. They said they cared for me, but they talked bad about me. Guys, that's our human condition. We live in a fallen world. We must guard ourselves against, again, hearing that tape that says God is not faithful. Look at all the people that he created. They're not faithful. We cannot let the personification of, of God be identified by who we know and our experience with people because he is faithful. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Second Timothy 2.13 says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Did you catch that? This is who he is. This is not a choice he makes. We make a choice to be faithful. He is faithful. So irregardless of whether you are faithful, he is faithful, and he is good. So whatever this is, all of a sudden starts to lose its power and grip on us. Because I can look at these things, and I can understand and know God's word says that God is good despite this, and God is faithful despite this. You see, God is faithful. People may not, but God is faithful. And, and lastly, number three, Peace in the midst of the unknown comes from knowing God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. And the definition of this word basically means he's in control. It says sovereignty can be defined as having supreme authority, control, and power over all that has happened, is happening, and will happen in the future, in all times, across all history. In Genesis 12, it says, I will show you. And in verse two, he says, and I will make you. He says, I will make you. You're not gonna make yourself. He goes, I'm in charge. I'm in control. All things are under my control. Because I don't know about you and me, but sometimes life feels really out of control. Like there's literally nothing I can do to fix this or that or make that happen and that not happen. That's life. We're constantly living in circumstances that are out of our control, but praise God that he is in control and that he is good and he is faithful and he is sovereign. And then all of a sudden this starts to shrink and shrink and shrink. Because I'm not here to tell you what the unknown is. I can't tell you that. I can tell you what the known things of God are. 
Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28. This is like the whole equation in one verse. And we know that God is sovereign. And he is working all things out. He is sovereign for the good of those who love him. Not to withhold from you, not to manipulate you, not to micromanage you. He's controlling everything for your good and for his glory. That is the God of the Bible. You see, we live in a world that says if it doesn't feel good, then it can't be good, right? But knowing that God is good and that he is faithful and that he is sovereign means that it doesn't have to feel good to you to be good for you. You see, he's accomplishing something. Every day of your life, he's accomplishing something because he's working all things out for your good, for those who love him. In Proverbs 16, 9, it talks again about God's sovereignty. It says, the heart of, uh, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We make plans, but God directs our paths. Like, there's no doubt in my mind I can look back on my life and say, God brought me to Oklahoma City. I did not want to do it. It didn't feel good. I mean, literally, no one vacations to Oklahoma, people. And God, you're sending me here? Like, what? <laughs> Send me to San Diego. And the worst part about that was I was supposed to go to Orlando, Florida. And it got switched to Oklahoma City. But God was working something out. He was accomplishing something in my life that I could not anticipate, that I couldn't have drawn up. But in seasons of unknown, we rest in the fact that God is good, he is faithful, and he is sovereign. And this is the equation. Because all three of these things equals our peace. I can't sit here and tell you how it's going to turn out. I can't sit here and tell you that it's all going to work out the way you want. I can't tell you that. I'm not God. I'm not sovereign. But what I do know is God's word tells me that he is good, he is faithful, and he is sovereign. And therefore, in the midst of the unknownness of life, where am I going to work? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? All those things. Am I going to lose my job? Like We've seen that a lot in Oklahoma City recently in the last couple of years. A lot of people losing their job. Guess what? God is sovereign. He's not surprised. We are, but he's not. And because of these things, we can have peace and we can rest. So how do we actually do this? How do we actually find peace and actively rest in the midst of the unknown? So I want to give you two thoughts. The first is this, remember and recite the truths of God. Remember and recite the things of God. Psalm 119.11 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David saying, God, I know you. I have put your word. I have memorized it. I've put it in my heart. Here's the sad thing about American Christianity and the church in America today is we stop memorizing scripture when we stop getting stickers and goldfish for it when we're kids. We create a culture where I say a verse, ding, I get a reward. 
And I'm not memorizing scripture because I want to know God. I'm doing it to get a reward. But David says, no, no, I have stored up your words in my heart. So that when those doubts come, that you are not good. When those doubts come, that you are not faithful. When those doubts come, that say, you have forgotten me. I have a truckload of verses from God's word that say, no, that is not true. This is who God is. He is good, and he is faithful, and he is sovereign. He has not forgotten you. He did not wake up surprised. Colossians 3.16, one of my favorite visuals, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word dwell means to take up residence. Let the word of Christ, the Bible, live in you. Take up residence in your heart. We don't do it to check off a list to be a better Christian. We dwell in God's word so that it becomes a part of us. So that when the unknowns and the fears come along, we have something to fight back with. The truth of God's word. So remember and recite. And then secondly, rest and live in the knowledge of your God. Rest and live in the knowledge of your God. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, one of my favorites says, come to me. There's an invitation. All who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Proverbs 19, 23 says this, the fear of the Lord leads to life and he who has it rests satisfied. I don't know about you, but I like that one. It's an assurance. The fear of the Lord leads to something. It leads to life, not fear, not cowering in the corner, not cowering in my living room, afraid to go out because I don't know what's going to happen. He says, the fear of the Lord, the respect and honor and glory of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it rests satisfied. There is a young lady. Her name is Corey Tenboom. Some of you may have read her book, The Hiding Place. My mom read it to me when I was a kid, like a little kid. And it's her story of her family in, in, uh, in, con- in a concentration camp in World War II. Her whole family was taken, and they all died except her in the concentration camp. And she wrote this book called The Hiding Place. If you're a reader, you need to read that book. But she says this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Young adults, that's that's us. We have a future. You have a future. Most of you are not even halfway through your life. Some of you are only a quarter way there. You can trust an unknown future to a known God because he is good, he is faithful, and he is sovereign. And in that knowledge, we may not know the future, but we know we can rest and trust him with our future. So I want to challenge you to make a trade tonight. You guys ever trade cards, like baseball cards or anything when you were a kid? Maybe you guys are too young for that, but that's what I used to do. Me and my buddy, we bring our box of cards and we lay them out. I'm like, I want that one. He's like, well, I want those two then. And we'd do, we'd do this little dance and we'd rip each other off and not even know it, right? Like we'd be each other's enemies getting the favorite card. And, and, but that's what I want to do tonight. I want you to bring your card of fear of the unknown. I want you to hand it over and get back the fear of God. Trade your fear for fear. Whatever fear grips you, whatever fear paralyzes you, 
Trade it for the fear of a God who is good, who is faithful, and who is sovereign and who has not forgotten you. Trade. Make a trade. I'm going to draw one last picture because I'm a visual guy and like I said, I'm not good at math, so this one may not stick with you. Let me draw this one. You guys ever have a class where you had to like drop an egg from a ladder and then you had to create some cushion around it so that when you dropped it, it wouldn't break, right? Why? Because an egg is super fragile, right? This is what we do. This is another way to look at this. Here's our unknown. Here's our egg, all right? And then around that egg, we surround it with the goodness of God. And then around the goodness of God, we surround that with the faithfulness of God. And then around that, we surround it with the sovereignty of God. And then all of a sudden, our fragile fears are surrounded by something not of ourselves. And then whatever happens to that fear, that fragile fear, it's not going to ruin you. It's not going to destroy you because you're resting in the goodness, faithfulness, and sovereignty of God. Let him surround you and protect you from the fears that are so easily overtake us. So like I said before, what's your unknown fear? What is it that grips you? What fear is unknown in this season of your life? Maybe it's tonight. Maybe tonight, something happened today. Maybe you have a hope or a dream. The year's like, what if it doesn't happen? I'm imploring with you because this is, this is my life the last two and a half years is trade fear for fear. Trade that fear for the fear of a good, faithful, and sovereign God. When that fear wells up in you, run to him. When that fear grips you, drop to your knees and bring it to him. God, show me your faithfulness. Show me your goodness. Let me experience your sovereignty and your care for me. Because those are the promises of God. That's who he is. And he loves to answer those prayers. Trade fear for fear. Give him yours and take his. So here's what we're going to do. At the gathering, if you're new, we go into 120 seconds. The lights are going to drop. And for two minutes, 120 seconds, we're just going to let you pray and sit with what you've learned tonight from God's word that he is good and he is faithful and he is sovereign. And as always, our prayer team is gonna be on the back wall. And maybe you need tonight someone to pray for you because you don't know how to pray. Because maybe that fear is so real to you that you just can't utter the words. Man, let them pray for you. They've already prayed for you. I saw them tonight in the back corner. They were praying at 645 for you. Allow them to minister to you. Otherwise, just sit in your seats and ask God the known God of the Bible, to wrap himself around the fears that grip us and paralyze us.